It in Readoption Podcast back after Super Wild Card Weekend, and it is me and Scotty. No veto today. He is uh, he is traveling all day, so we couldn't couldn't get an airport call in for him. Uh, but we will check in with him before we hit the divisional round next weekend. Scotty, how uh, how are you doing? Uh, I don't want to talk about how I'm doing, so I'm going to ask you to deflect <laughs> as long as possible. How are you doing? No, man, I'm I'm good. It was a nice, uh, you know, we got one game moved, so it ended up being two each day, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Um, but, you know, to have playoff football back uh, and being able to watch every snap for, for six games instead of our usual routine where we're just watching every score from every game uh, on Red Zone and all the action and stuff. Um, no, it was, it, was, it was a lot of fun uh, for me to, especially my team's on a bye, so I sat back and relaxed and watched everything without stress. Just see who we're gonna play next week, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was um, it's good for me. I know it wasn't for uh, for I re- you. I remember that, that feeling all too similarly. It's almost like it happened recently that I was yeah. in that position. It's crazy the yeah. difference a year makes. Uh, yeah, I had some uh, I had some overall thoughts about the weekend, and then we're we're gonna start with the Eagles game last night. Get that out of the way, so we don't have to talk about that sorry excuse for an organization anymore uh, after this weekend. Um, but I had some thoughts. First thought, um, all the games kind of sucked except for Lions Rams. Uh, now look, everyone hates the Cowboys for Cowboys fans. So people enjoyed watching that. Um, I would say the same for everyone hates the Eagles except for Eagles fans. But I think even people who don't like the Eagles kind of felt sorry. Like that game was just so pathetic. Uh, and and even the Uh, Bucs. For a multitude of reasons, and it's not anything to take away from the Bucs. They played a really damn good football game. Yeah, the defense um, but, for the Bucs was awesome, but the offense, I mean, what was it, eight, nine drops last night they had from yeah. their wide receivers? And I Mike mean, Evans was half of them. Like, yeah, Mike Evans uh, had three, figured that one out. I think, uh, but yeah, I mean, just drop after drop. I, I know they had four uh, at least like halfway through the second quarter, so um, yeah. they had plenty. But uh, what I what I will say is even though the games themselves weren't great, I felt like all the teams that I wanted to win, like in terms of what I thought would create the best picture for the playoffs, ended up winning. Like, oh, like when we did our picks, I did terrible. I went one and five with my picks. You went five and one. Awesome uh, week for you, Scotty. Or Vito went Got two out. and Vito went two and four. So Vito and I were off a little bit, but I felt like for the teams that I enjoyed watching the most, the teams that like I think will set up the most entertaining second round. I feel like we got all of those teams. Like the, all the teams that I wanted to win ended up winning. Like I wanted the Texans to win. I wanted the Lions to win. I wanted the Packers to win. I didn't think uh, the Bills as well. Like I didn't think I thought all those games are going to be closer, more competitive. Obviously the Rams Lions game was, but I, I really didn't have much faith that those, those teams are all going to pull through, particularly the Texans and the, and the Packers, and yet they found ways to do it. Uh, and I think it's created a really fun thing. So I think as a whole, like, really fun wildcard weekend in terms of the teams that, like, I think create the most fun stories. Now, yes, like, Browns-Ravens would have been a really, really fun second-round matchup. Don't get me wrong. But, like, I love this Houston team. I love C.J. Stroud. I love D'Amico Ryans. Watching them come out here as a young team and ball out the way they did to start the weekend was so much fun. 
Uh, Dolphins, Chiefs, that miserable, miserable weather. Andy Reid's snot freezing in his mustache. Uh, to see like vintage Chiefs kind of come out when you're like, oh, this team, this team's dead. They haven't been able to get anything going on offense. Boom, Rasheed Rice, 138 yards or whatever it was, and a touchdown on eight catches. And all of a sudden you're like, all right, cool. Yeah, Chiefs are probably going to win the Super Bowl now, you know, the way that they handled that game in those conditions. Uh, watching the Cowboys get absolutely smacked was amazing to see that Rams lions game, which was by far the best game of the weekend, be as entertaining as it was. And to see the lions come out on top, um, you know, despite it feeling like the Rams, I thought watching that second half, the Rams are going to come back and win that game. Uh, and then obviously the bills handle their business. The Eagles continue to look like the Eagles and the bucks move on. But like I, if the bucks were playing, like let's say the Eagles had the two seed and the Bucks are playing the Cowboys. Like I would have not just because I hate the Cowboys, I would have genuinely been like pushing hard for Baker. If, if the Bucks were in the AFC or whatever, you know, if they weren't playing my team, I love Baker. I love this story. Like, I love the fact that they won a playoff game. He earned himself $250,000 in incentives because of that win too. So uh, like, I just feel like all of the really likable fun teams found a way to advance. You could say the Browns, you know, but, they're the one team that kind of get left out. But like, if we're being honest, like no one wanted to see the Steelers continue. The dolphins were falling apart. The Eagles looked like shit. The Rams, they're probably the one team that was like, Oh, they're a fun team. I'd like to watch them kind of sneak through, but you know, I wanted the lions to win that game. That fan base deserved it. So I thought as a whole, like all of the really, really fun teams won this weekend and the teams that like, we've been really supportive of that aren't our teams, but just teams that we really enjoy watching. I feel like they all kind of pulled through and won this week. Would you agree with that? Or do you think I'm off? Yeah, no, I mean, it started Saturday night and I was, you know, we've been harping on the Texans. I in particular uh, was going into that game being like, shit, if CJ Stroud balls out, I might have to get a Jersey. Cause I just love this kid so much. I've never loved anyone from Ohio state more. I'm sorry. Um, to all my, uh, my Penn state and Michigan folks who are, are listening but uh I, I i love him man i there's nothing he does wrong there's there's uh, it's not even a chip on the shoulder the dude just balls out and he does everything the right way uh and 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 is an absolute competitor uh and belongs in this league he's proven that from day one um so yeah i like that that going in that texans game i was like i was rooting for them um uh i was i will say rooting kind of against the chiefs uh, just because I'm tired of that crap, uh, which is you know, fair. As mo- most of us are uh, by this point. Uh, but the greatness you know. aspect of it is just like it's cool to watch. Just like we we just talked about with Belichick and and Saban. You know, it's like yeah. when you have greatness, you do have to appreciate it while it's here and while you're watching it. Even though I think we all, as as two both of Mahomes Super Bowl rings came against our teams, you know, yeah. respectively, like. I, I don't have a ton of love for Mahomes or the Chiefs. I love Big Red, but, you know, like, I just love as a football fan getting to watch Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, for sure. Although that's mm, – I have takes on that too, by the way, when we get into that game. Okay. Um, and then obviously everybody's rooting against Dallas. Uh, the the story for the, the Rams-Lions, I was okay with anyone who came out of that game. Um, really? Uh, yeah. You weren't, I, adam- you weren't adamant against the Rams? No, no, because I know we can beat them in the postseason. I'm scared of the the Detroit Lions right now. I'll tell you that right now. That's a little I, I funky. Would, I, yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, and then you know, obviously Buffalo keeping that train rolling, and and the the storylines in that game with the snow and and everything was uh, was fun to watch all weekend long. Um, 
And I think I was, I mean, I was rooting for you guys. I was really hoping that you would, uh, for better or worse, you know, you move on to the next round and you don't know what else, what's going to happen, who you're playing, especially. Um, but, you know, I was rooting for you guys to to pull through and figure something out, at least to get you a playoff win, uh, you know, but it was the same old, same old. So, uh, yeah, I'd say, you know, three out of the five or four out of the six, rather, I think uh, were, were pretty bang on for me. Yeah, I was reading interest. Yeah, and, but look, I I thought it ultimately was like I thought it was a, a telling, uh, you know, wild card weekend in terms of like the Texans are legit and like the Texans are going to be good for a long time, you know. And we'll dive into the specifics when we get to some of these games, but uh, I felt like the the right team won in every single game. You know, you, you could say maybe the Browns, but like the Joe Flacco thing was never going to be sustainable. You know, and like, it's a fun story. It's kind of like, you know, the Josh Dobbs thing on steroids, right? Like Flacco's played enough football. He's got the Super Bowl. Like we gave him a little bit more, you know, especially in the nature of which they won that Super Bowl where he just got insanely hot for for a three game stretch there and four game stretch. I know. Um, yeah, I know as, as you were on the, the losing side of that one. But like we kind of gave him a little bit of extra credit than like we did for Josh Dobbs, but that was inevitable. Like the crash down to earth was always going to happen. And, and, and ultimately like shout out to the Texans defense who just played their absolute fucking dicks off throughout that entire game. Uh, The other big takeaway I had from this weekend, and this is more from a scheduling standpoint, why in the fuck do we have a Monday night game instead of a Friday night game? Thank you. I'm with you, dude. Uh, Or even, you is know, it the play, short? I guess the short week aspect of it, like you don't want to shortchange teams. Play three, but... play three on Saturday. Then who cares? Who's yeah. you doing anything on Saturday? What difference does it make? And yeah. then you can have the primetime one on Sunday if you really want it. I don't care. But the, and they're doing the same thing this week. I gotta wait till eight fifteen on Saturday night to watch the Niners play. What crap is that? Yeah, it's it's eight so, o'clock. But at least it's a weekend night. You know, at least yeah, it's like but... a Saturday night. You don't gotta go to work the next day. You know, we had. Uh, excuse me. We had MLK Day on Monday, uh, on Monday, so it's like, all right, Sunday night you can kind of go with it. But like, when you're playing on Monday night of Wild Card Weekend, it's just it sucks, dude. You're just sitting there just waiting, and especially as an Eagles fan, like it gave me just enough time to buy back in. You know, new season oh, starts now. Yourself. All yeah, this oh stuff, boy. talk yourself into it. And by the time that game started, I was like. Boom. You know, Mr. Positivity, the Eagles are going to win this game. This is when they bounce back. A.J. Brown comes back next week in the divisional rounds. Maybe they take down, you know, especially after what happened with the Cowboys. It was like I was reinvigorated with life all of a sudden. That game should have been on Friday night. It it just should have been. You know, make it work. Split the games. Know the teams that are likely to end up playing on, on, uh, on Friday. Have them play Saturday in week 18. Have more Saturday games. That way you're not you know, screwing a team over. You're making teams play regular season games all season on Thursday nights. Have a Friday night game, you know, yeah. dominate that Friday night. You're going to get people watching and tuning in from all across the country for the entirety of the game. Um, yeah, I just, I hate, I hate the Monday night thing. And I swear it just goes back to the the history of Monday night football. But like when I got my wake up call at 5 a.m. the next day, you know, and I and I gotta wait. It's just it fucking sucks, man. And then yeah. on top of it, too, like the game itself doesn't necessarily help. But make that a Friday night game, or 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 why why they needed to deviate from a 
And it, the whole thing was it's money. It's the TV contracts. ESPN wanted a standalone game that wasn't, you know, at four o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday or a Saturday. They wanted a prime time game. And so they gave it to them. But yeah, I, the Monday of, night game thing is just brutal. How do you feel about that uh, streaming only? Because I heard a lot of chirping on Twitter. Uh, oh, yeah. On Peacock. Yeah, I'm sorry. On Saturday uh, night. Yeah. Yeah, that was bullshit. Um, I the nice thing is, is you didn't have to pay. My understanding is you didn't have to pay for Peacock to be able to watch the game. You just could only watch it. My frustration came and I was telling you this before. And as I was working a 13 and a half hour shift at the at the bar on Saturday because it was the, no the bars. It was the bars anniversary party. We have a smart TV that I have like my YouTube TV logged into. Uh -huh. So like when C C CBS and direct TV were going through this like big spat and the majority of bars you go to use direct TV because the Sunday ticket is still available on direct TV for bars, right? For establishments, you know, whatever the, the commercial sale version of it, whatever yeah. that's not on YouTube TV. So my thought was like, all right, well, they probably did the same thing for the playoff game. Nope. So the only game that we could, the only, we had one TV out of six that we could put the, the playoff game on a primetime game on a Saturday night. There was one TV in the bar that we could do that on. And it was because he had to download Peacock onto the smart TV and then use that. And then, you know, we were able to stream it. But like, what are we doing? Like, yeah, this is the, this is the <clears throat> antithesis of what the ESPN normally does. And part of that's because, hey, they have a great relationship with NBC. They want to keep that. I'm sure when they renegotiated their contract, the push for the streaming only thing is, is it's becoming more and more relevant. And look, five, 10 years from now, it's going to be like every TV has access to it. There's going to be a, a button pre-programmed on the remote that you're going to be able to press and Peacock will come up or whatever. But Peacock's probably one of the least used out of all the streaming services. The only reason people really use Peacock is to watch old reruns of The Office. You know, other than that, people aren't really uh, tuning EPL. in. To... Yeah, a little bit. League streaming on there. Um, I just I just thought I thought it was a colossal failure and and to leverage all the Swifties into it, too, who wanted to go see Taylor up in her her uh, her box there. Uh, just just very odd, man. Didn't didn't like it. Didn't care for it. Thought it was uh, less than popular, obviously, as you saw, like a lot of people online kind of chirping about it. Um, but yeah, man, not 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 would have been would not have been my move. Uh, but shout out to Mike Tarico games and back to back days. Um he is, was, he's might be a hot take. I don't think it is. I think people within the industry that I've worked with and talked to all agree. Um, but I don't think the public consensus is quite there, but Mike Tirico is the best play-by-play -play guy in the world right now. He's better than Nance. He's better than the only one I would maybe put up there with him is Chris Fowler. Um, and, and you could throw Joe Buck in the ring too. I think Buck is phenomenal. Um, but I think Mike Tirico, man, he had some of the subtleties in what he does calling games is just unbelievable. And of course that final call on Sunday night when the, when the lions, you know, for the first time in 32 years, you know, your Detroit lions are, you know, win a playoff game and, you know, a little, how about yeah. that at the end? It he's, was just, a, it was a perfect he knows call. the moment. Yeah. He's, he's a, a consummate professional. One of the vets been around the block. Um, so I'm not shocked that, uh, that he nailed that call. How about your boy on uh Saturday night, getting the call Noah Eagle. Yes, uh, that was cool. I love out. watching him, man. Too bad he's paired with Todd Blackledge, but I yeah, love watching tough. Noah. Uh, any game that Noah's broadcasting. Yeah, Noah Eagle's awesome. Uh, for people who are newer to the pod who don't know, because I don't think I've referenced this in a while, I used to work with Noah when he was in college. Um, 
we did a show on Sirius XM that was called the student section. And uh, we, w- it started with Jack Collinsworth, actually. He did it for a year as a senior in college. And then we carried over with, uh, with Noah Eagle and uh, Noah to this day, man, I'll shoot him a text. I texted him on Saturday after the call, um, text me right back, hits me up right back. You know, Hey man, great to hear from you. Thank you so much. He is, he is the nicest fucking guy, man. And, and that's great. He is Joe Buck 2.0. You know, when Joe Buck first took over it, everyone gave him shit. It was, Oh, you know, you're Jack Buck's boy. You know, you're just getting this cause your dad, all this stuff. And Joe Buck will tell you, he was an asshole, you know, when he was young because he felt the need to kind of defend off people and he was making his own career. Joe Buck has totally changed his tune now, and I think he's become one of the more likable guys in broadcasting. But uh, Noah has none of that, man. Noah is just humble and eager. And the thing is, it's the same thing with Jack Collinsworth, too. It's like they got those jobs. Yes, they got their foot in the door because of who their dads are. No question like that. You can't argue that. They're still good, but at what they're they do. fucking good, man. Yeah. Jack really Collinsworth, I'll, this might be a hot take. This is definitely a hot take. I think Jack Collinsworth is my favorite pregame voice. I think he's so good when he was at ESPN, now with NBC. I think he is so good in those Sunday Night in America segments when he's driving the ship. He's got an awesome, awesome, soothing voice. He's always stylish. Looked up like I just, I'm a big, big Jack Collinsworth fan. I think he does a phenomenal job. Uh, but to me, Noah. He's already one of the best in the business. He got the Clippers radio broadcasting job out of college uh, and, and yeah. absolutely killed it for three years. And now he's calling NFL games. It's 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 a pretty unbelievable run. And he's going to be around for a very, very long time for with good reason, because he's again, he's phenomenal. Sounds just like his dad, which if you're a fan of Iron Eagle, then, you know, cool, man. You you're just getting an extension on on how many times you get to listen to Iron Eagle call games because Noah really does sound almost almost exactly the same, which is yeah. which is very cool. So shout out to Noah, big big fan of Noah Eagle. Um, all right, you want to hop in? Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's dive in. Six games. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna start with last night's game, and then we'll we'll kind of work back the rest of it from Saturday. I just I need to get the Eagle stuff out for right now. Um. Few things off the dome. This is the same team, right? Nothing's changed. This is this what we saw last night was the same team we saw against the Cardinals, against the Seahawks, against the Giants. Both games they should have lost that game to the Giants on Christmas. The Giants just shot themselves in the foot too many times. Once they realized that Tyrod Taylor is way better than Tommy DeVito, it was game over. It wasn't even remotely close. Um, this team is is broken, man. Like, and I know we've been saying that for a long time, but this is. This is bad, all right? And and I feel like a lot of people, you know, will, will look at this. And, and Scotty, you said it all season, you know, until they're dead and buried, I don't want to, I don't, with all the talent, I don't want to, I don't want to think about it. I'm not going to count them out, all this stuff. I was able to count them out because I, I knew it was there. I understand your perspective after what happened last year and just all the talent on that team being like, I want to see them in the ground before I can, you know, breathe a sigh of relief with it when it comes to the Philadelphia Eagles. Mm-hmm. This team flat out quit. And the thing is, is it's it's really hard to say that about an NFL team, right? And, and it's not to say the individual players were like not trying. They were trying, but they were not buying into what this coaching staff and what this organization was putting them up to do. Uh, there was a massive article that came out on ESPN. I think it was Tim McManus 
um, who, who wrote an article about the dysfunction between in, in the quarterback room in particular between Jalen, Brian Johnson, and Nick Sirianni, and that offensive players were quoted as saying, we don't even know who's calling the plays right now because Sirianni was so quick to overrule on big moments and call plays uh, instead of Brian Johnson. The conflicting styles of what Brian Johnson and Jalen Hurts wanted versus what Sirianni wanted. And Sirianni, being the head coach, always carried the trump card. So his offense, his decisions were always the ones that were getting passed through. And if there's one thing we know about Sirianni is that he's not a good play caller. He didn't call plays when he was the offensive coordinator in Indianapolis. Frank Reich did. He When he did call plays for the Eagles uh, in the first like nine, ten games in 2021, they were terrible. Right. They started off like two and seven. They were terrible that year until they switched over and Shane Steichen started calling plays. And then they went on that run and then they sneak into the playoffs. And then, yes, they got their shit blown up by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, just like they did this year. But when Nick Sirianni is the one in charge of calling plays, it doesn't work. And this is the thing I keep coming back to when it comes to this organization, which is that there is a healthy amount of blame pie to go around to a bunch of people. Jalen has a slice like Jalen to me and, and Orlovsky and all these guys who are much smarter than me. And, and these guys who really understand football at, at an elite, elite level, more so than you, me, Vito, more so than 99.99% of the public. They've come out and said, Jalen isn't the problem. Jalen hasn't been great, but Jalen's not the problem. And I do agree with that. I don't think Jalen hurts is the problem, but he is a problem. He absolutely regressed. There were things that he was able to do last year that he just flat out missed, didn't see this year. I think he's hurt. I think he's been hurt for a long time. I think since that Jets game, his knee has been problematic. I'm going to imagine he's going to get some sort of, you know, arthroscopic knee surgery. They're going to go in there, clean out his knee. It'll be better. He'll be fine by training camp, all that kind of stuff. But Jalen 100% has regressed this year. I don't put the biggest piece of the blame pie on Jalen. In fact, I think he's probably fourth or fifth on that list, but Jalen deserves some blame. Howie Roseman. Howie Roseman deserves blame. All right. We can sit there and talk about the AJ Brown trade. You know, all the trades, uh, the Carson Wentz trade, they got all those first round picks and the draft Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter and N'Kobe Dean and Keely Ringo and all the Georgia guys, right? And all the Alabama guys and all this stuff. And yes, he's done a really good job drafting Landon Dickerson, drafting Cam Jurgens, drafting Dallas Goddard, getting Devontae Smith, making the trade for A.J. Brown. There's tons of stuff. You know, even the contract that the Eagles gave Jalen Hurts, right? Like all of this stuff. He deserves all of the credit for and all of his flowers. Howie Roseman fucked this defense up big time. All right, they spent a long time developing T.J. Edwards, where T.J. Edwards was, I believe, undrafted, or if he was drafted, was like a sixth or seventh round draft pick. He was practice squad guy, special teams guy, worked his way up to being a really, really solid, consistent middle linebacker as we saw him play for the Chicago Bears this year. He leaves in free agency, gets a big contract, totally understand that. There was no backup plan, right? The backup plan, or not even backup plan, but the replacement plan was supposed to be N'Kobe Dean. Well, N'Kobe Dean couldn't stay healthy this year. He has the Liz Frank injury back in like week seven, week eight. He's out for the year. They also had Kazir White. Now, Kazir White last year was the ire of a lot of Eagles fans because, oh, he wasn't great in coverage, or oh, he was this, or he. Kazir White made plays. And even for the Arizona Cardinals this year, Kazir White was a really valuable player. The interception that sealed the Cardinals' win over the Cowboys was Kazir White, 
right? Kazir White, you could use in a million different ways. Athletic, strong, but you know what he wasn't, Scotty? He wasn't a liability, right? You could put Kazir White there, and even if he made a mistake here or there, you'd live with it because he would make big plays and he wouldn't fuck you completely. And Howie Roseman's response to losing these were like, all right, we're now going to trust essentially second-year player, but basically rookie, N'Kobe Dean, who, as we found out, couldn't stay healthy. And then a rotating door of Nicholas Morrow, hoping that Miles Jack or Zach Cunningham might be able to come in and make some plays for this team. That didn't work. Christian Ellis, who was an undrafted uh, player in his second year, practice squad guy. And then whoever the fucking white dude was, 53, who who was completely non-existent for this team. Uh, he, he hung around. He played one start, I think, in a Cardinals game. He had to come in and play in that game. And that was it, right? So you're now relying on essentially corpses of very good, used to be very good players in Zach Cunningham and uh, Miles Jack. Miles Jack retires only to come back and sign with the Pittsburgh Steelers. All of this is to say that Howie Roseman had no plan for the linebacker position and felt so confident that his front four would be that good against the run that it wouldn't matter. That the linebacker position, all you would have to do is scrape and fill and clean up some tackles and that'd be fine. What he completely overestimated is the fact that nobody in that linebacking room other than N'Kobe Dean knows how to fucking tackle. And the second that N'Kobe Dean was gone, which again, the amount of pressure you're putting on a kid who is essentially a rookie getting his first opportunity to play consistently is insane to begin with. Then he gets hurt and then you're really fucked. You start the season with no answer at safety, right? Starts with Terrell Edmonds and it's and, and followed up with Justin Evans, right? These guys no one's even heard of. And Reed Blankenship, who like, look, Reed's been a decent player. He's the only guy in that secondary I expect to be back in 2024, especially we haven't heard the news of whatever happened to Darius Slay at the end of that game, but it sure looked like an ACL. Didn't look great, yeah. It sure looks like he's not going to be playing in 2024. If he does, it's not going to be until January, at which point the Eagles should not be playing him anyway. James Bradbury, credit to you, Scotty, because you've been saying it since the beginning of the season. James, Brad, James Bradbury, absolute fucking nothing and you just paid this dude a three-year contract yeah. with like 32 million dollars guaranteed on it so cutting him this offseason is going to hurt you against the cap it's not sure what you're going to do there you had an investment in your front four josh sweat gave you nothing hassan reddick gave you nothing and part of the reason they didn't in the second half of the season was because matt patricia and sean desai are trying to drop these fucking guys into coverage instead of letting your best pass rushers do what they do best. They didn't mention Hassan Reddick's name last night. The best player on this Eagles defense this season has been Fletcher Cox and rookie Jalen Carter. I mean, absolute front office malpractice the way that he built up the back half of that Eagles defense to completely ignore the linebacker position after you had two very reliable starters there and hope that a pair of 30-year-old cornerbacks would be enough to go up against C.D. Lamb and Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and all these fucking insane weapons that you see all over the place in the NFL, thinking that those dudes would hang up. And I get it. Slay wasn't necessarily the problem. Slay had a decent year, but he's not he's not prime Slay anymore. He's not that guy anymore. You know, he, he that version of him is gone. So how Roseman... Big play Slay. Yeah. How Roseman, yeah. you deserve a slice of blame pie. And you also deserve credit for what you built in terms of the rest of the roster, but that doesn't void your mistakes. 
Then you go to the two biggest pieces of which I think the blame pie comes in. And the, and the second biggest piece goes to the players. All right. At the end of the day, and I saw somebody make this point on Twitter, and I have to agree with it because we, we want to sit here as fans right now in this frustrating frustration state where we are just angry and annoyed and perplexed and and flat out dumbfounded by some of the decisions that this team has made. And we want to blame the coaches. We want to blame Nick Sirianni, right? Because deep down in all of our minds, we think we're seeing everything for fact when we're watching these games. But in the reality, there's tons of stuff that we don't understand. The players did not back up their coach. The players do not believe in their coach. Now, the biggest piece of the blind blame pies we're going to get to is the coaching staff, is Nick Sirianni. We will get to that. It's not to say that the players weren't put in situations to fail. They absolutely were. But if you're Hassan Reddick, if you're Josh Sweat, if you are Jordan Davis, Jalen Carter, you're these guys who are supposed to be man-eaters on the fucking line of scrimmage, and you can't get home for a month against the likes of the Seattle Seahawks, against the likes of the New yeah. York Giants, who had the worst, Cardinals. one of the worst offensive lines in football, the Cardinals, who had one of the worst offensive lines in football, and Hassan Reddick has, what, like one sack over a month and a half? I mean, that is unacceptable, and I get it. Every time Matt Patricia asks Hassan Reddick to drop back into coverage, it's a fucking disaster. You know why? Because that's not what he's supposed to do. That's what happened when Hassan Reddick was in Arizona. Yeah. When he got drafted there. That's why he wanted to leave. And then he went to Carolina, and they didn't use him that way, and he was awesome. And then Jonathan Gannon comes in, he comes to Philly, and he was fucking awesome again because they weren't asking him to drop in coverage. But when he was playing in Arizona, they did. And he was a non-factor. And that's what the Eagles turned him into. Well, but at the same time, part of of that's what you described too, with the the lack of of the front office not replenishing the linebacking core. It's like, well, shit, now we have to drop him because like we don't have the help. Yeah. I I mean for sure. We just lose a pass rusher, like that's fine, I guess, but whatever. For sure. But sorry. But if the if the if the meat of your defense is on the defensive line and and getting after the quarterback, this team had seventy sacks last year. On paper, the Eagles' defensive line should have gotten better. Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox played better in twenty twenty three than they did in twenty twenty two. But other than that, it's the same defensive front, and they went from almost breaking the record for sacks in a season as a team, second most sacks ever by a team in a single season to whatever the fuck we watched over the last two months. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. And a lot of that comes into coaching, but a lot of that and blame pie, the players deserve some blame. Lane Johnson took a step back. Kelsey, which we're going to get to his, uh, the, the report. Well, Lane on Johnson always takes a big a second. step back. <laughs> yeah, he does. That that, that drop kick is crazy. Um, <laughs> but like my lotto was the second highest rated left tackle in football this year. No blame to him. You know, Landon Dickerson, Voted as a pro bowler, but at the same time, he wasn't as good this year. Lane Johnson definitely took a step back, but also he was playing through injuries. Can't really fault those guys. The offense as a whole, it's hard to look at A.J. Brown. It's hard to look at Devontae Smith. It's hard to look at Dallas Goddard and be like, yeah, you guys are the problem. But at the same time, the players right. and, the, and and what these guys are asked to do and what they're asked to believe in, like, yes, they got put in situations that were way more difficult to succeed in, but they do deserve a piece of the pie when it comes to the blame pie. And then, of course, the biggest one is the coaching staff. And this is where, to me, Nick Sirianni needs to be fired. 
And I understand that that's an unprecedented move a year after being in a Super Bowl. The fact that within a calendar year, he could be coaching in a Super Bowl as the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles and less than 12 months later could be fired is unprecedented. But you know what else is unprecedented? This collapse. Yeah. This is inarguably the biggest season collapse in the history of the NFL. There's one other team, one other team in NFL history who started 10 and one and couldn't get to 12 wins. And it was the 1986 Jets, right? We talked about this a couple of years ago, or maybe 1983, but it was 1986, 1983 Jets. They won a playoff game. That team went 10 and one, finished the season the same as the Eagles, and then won a playoff game. This team didn't even show up for the fucking playoff game. This team lost to two of the worst teams in the NFL, two teams that are drafting in the top 10, beat this team as they're getting ready to go to the playoffs. How do you explain this? How do, And the players have to be diplomatic, right? They can't just shit on Nick Sirianni all over the place. They can't just shit on, on Sean Desai, Matt Patricia, Brian Johnson all over the place. They can't. But I guarantee you they want to. I guarantee you they want to. Yeah. Because <clears throat> the, the absolute shit show that this coaching staff has put on over the last two months is an undoubted indictment on what Nick Sirianni is as a head coach. Again, he can't call plays. He can't hire replacements. His offensive scheme is the most predictable in the NFL. I predicted last night from my couch, legitimately, I tried to predict on every third down what was going to come out. Do you know what my do you know what my hit percentage was on just guessing with no watching no film or no prep or anything, just based off of what this team has shown me over the last two months. I did it. 80%. I did it nine. I did it on every third down the Eagles had last night. They went 0 for 10 last night. I went seven for 10. Oh, wow. Seven for 10. That's me sitting on my couch. That's me not watching. That's me not being an NFL player. That's me not watching down film and understanding ties and setups and all that other stuff as in depth as these players do. If I can do that, what the fuck do you think? De, you know, Devin White and Levante David, two two Pro Bowl linebackers, two Super Bowl winning linebackers, still playing at high levels. What do you think they're doing? Just chomping at the bits, just can't fucking wait. I mean, at this point, like it is so idiotic, moronic, base level shit. The fact that they have consistently, this goes back to the 2021 season. The one way that when when the Eagles were basically running like a version of the Navy offense with Jalen as the lead running back in 2021, the one thing you could do to really slow down that offense at that time when the Eagles started to pick games up a little bit was blitz the shit out of Hurts, and he had no idea what to do, right? Well, now, when Shane Steichen last year, 2022, Shane Steichen was the offensive coordinator, teams tried to blitz the Eagles. And yes, it it definitely was more effective but Shane Steichen coached and called plays and incorporated hot routes and had a game plan to help handle the blitz, to have the blitz not completely destroy you. And that's what we saw last year when the Eagles were so dynamic, not just because they were able to defend the blitz better. They had A.J. Brown. They had these other guys. They were able to move the ball still at a very, very high level. But they had a plan against the blitz. They would slide Dallas Goddard back into the line of scrimmage. They would keep Kenny Kenny Gainwell or Miles Sanders in the backfield to help block. It's been seven weeks of defenses on third down, 
just all out blitzing the Eagles. The Eagles were the number one team in the NFL on, on third down in 2022. The amount of third downs that they were able to pick up was insane. And just none of it this year. None of it. They have been one of the worst teams, both on offense and defense, either defending third downs or picking up third downs. They didn't get a single one last night. It's only the fourth time in modern NFL history that a team went 0-4 on third down. The, the the biggest slice of this pie is Sirianni. It's this coaching staff. It's the, the decision to demote, but not actually demote Sean Desai and then have Matt Patricia call plays, even just to bring Matt Patricia into the locker room. I remember talking about that on this pod over the summer being like, yeah, that's kind of a weird move, but if he's like a little analyst or whatever, just there to help out, that's fine. I never thought in my wildest dreams I'd be sitting there in a playoff game with fucking Matt Patricia calling plays. The fact that you let that fucking loser into the building in the first place is insane. You undermined your young defensive coordinator, who, by the way, got a lot out of the Eagles. When Sean Desai got demoted after the Dallas, after the San Francisco game and the Dallas game, the Eagles were still a top 15 defense. They were almost top 10 going into the San Francisco game. Sean Desai got so much more out of this defense than Matt Patricia did. That decision alone. Whoever made that decision, whoever signed off on it, needs to be fired. And there's a lot of you know scuttlebutt about Howie Roseman's connection to Matt Patricia and that there was an office in the complex where Patricia's was right next door to Howie Roseman's. So maybe it was a Howie decision, which, again, this is Howie when he tries to get too cute and tries to be a fucking idiot. Like, he thinks he's fucking, you know, the smartest man alive. He's going to reinvent football when he gets into his ego shit. That's what Howie does. The coaching staff... Sirianni, Brian Johnson, everybody. If you don't call plays, if you can't hire replacements, if you can't switch on the side, if your offensive scheme is the most <laughs> stale and predictable in the NFL and you can't develop a culture because the culture shit the bet on you, then what the fuck are you doing as the head coach? If you can't call plays and your offensive scheme isn't working, you're reliant on your offensive coordinator, but you can develop a good culture like a John Harbaugh type. Great. Awesome. Do that. Keep the culture. Sirianni couldn't do that. I mean, this is the biggest collapse in the history of the NFL in the regular season. Inarguable. If that's not enough to justify a firing of, a, of this guy, even though he took you to a Super Bowl last year, which we've learned was definitely not about Sirianni, it was so much more about Shane Steichen and Jonathan Gannon, and, and mainly Shane Steichen. Gannon gets a little bit because he just was able to keep everybody in front of them. I mean, it, it's it's crazy to think that after the 2021 season, the Eagles were actually in a decent spot, right? They overachieved. They bounced back. They had a playoff game. Yeah, they got the shit kicked out of them by the Bucks, but you know what? They were in a good spot. They had cap flexibility. They go out and they make the A.J. Brown trade. They go out and they get these pieces to build around Jalen Hurts to go into the season. The Eagles are so much worse off now than they were two years ago and that's including a trip to the fucking super bowl and if that's not an indictment on your head coach and not justification for firing him then i genuinely in my heart of hearts don't know what will well i mean the only pushback i'd have on that is uh is twofold one you did get to the super bowl last year for better or worse uh as as you just said but when you go that far, the leash gets longer, uh, number one. Number two is I'm not so sure that this isn't just young first-time head coach who wants to do things his way and tried to do things 
brash and and bold like we see him calling on things on the field and did that with the entire program and nothing worked like every turn was a mistake and then so you know fuck it lick your wounds uh learn from your mistakes and move on to the next season not like move on to from him because like he made a series of of mistakes this year that uh that a first time head coach uh usually makes Scott, let me ask you a question, because this is the question that Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman and those guys who who make these decisions. If the Eagles were to fire Sirianni, by the way, and Howie stays around, which I, I am anticipating Howie will, will still be around, he will become the first general manager in the history of the NFL to survive four different coaching fires. <laughs> That's crazy. Andy, Chip. Doug and Sirianni. Yeah. If that's why if this happens. All right. And that says a lot about the relationship between Lurie and How- Ro- uh, Howie, which they have been butt buddies since the second that Howie Roseman, you know, got hired as a GM. And then when Chip Kelly came in and they moved to the other side of the building and all that stuff that Jason Kelsey talked about in his fucking speech, you know, after they won the Super Bowl, like when all that happened, they had a, a big makeup and he gave full control back over to Howie. And again, Howie has done a very good job as GM. I don't want Howie Roseman fired. I want Howie Roseman to get off his fucking ego shit when he gets too big for his britches and thinks he's the fucking end all be all because everyone's stroking him off for six months during the offseason. The question that Howie and Jeff Lurie are going to be talking about in this, you know, this week is the same thing I'm going to pose to you, which is do you believe that Nick Sirianni has it in him to fix this. Based off of what we've seen this year, after what happened, everything's transpired. Because trust me, I know that it's been a brash decision. I wasn't in the fire Sirianni camp until they lost week 18. Until that Giants game, that's when it was like, I think I'm done. I think I'm out. And like not just heat of the moment, like actually sat on it and actually thought about it. This to me cements it. But to me... The question is, after what happened this year, how can you as Lane Johnson or Jalen Hurts or any of these guys that have dealt with this shit all year can go into next season fully looking at that guy who's your head coach and believe in your heart that that guy is going to be able to turn it around? So from a front office perspective, I think the answer has to be, I don't know, but we have to give him a shot. Because, again, because two years ago, he took you to a Super Bowl. Or last year, rather, he took you to a Super Bowl. That's it. And from a player perspective, like, yeah, that's fine. You want to go looking for for someone to to blame. That's a good place to start is is the guy that is the CEO of your team. Um, but at the same time, like those guys, especially those guys that are leading the team, Jalen, AJ, uh, Fletch, uh, if he comes back, uh, all the 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 uh, the young guys that they've drafted on the defensive line over the past few years. Those guys have to be the ones to be like, you know what? This was kind of on us too. So it's not 100% on Nick, not 100% on the front office, not 100% on us. Like this was all a failure from top down and everybody bought into the same thing, which was incorrect. Uh, and, And I think if you're a player, you have to look at it that way and say, well, from that perspective, then we have to give him a shot back because he believed in us, right? He believed in us enough to 
uh, to to give us the keys last year, uh, and this year even in the ten wins that they had, um, I I I think that's the way you have to look at it uh, as a player. Uh, and similarly in the front office, you have to give them a, a shot. I don't know that you can, but you can't. And I get it. Like like you don't want to put yourself behind eight ball. Uh, you don't want this year to repeat itself again next year. Uh, you don't want to miss out on a crop of head coaches that are available right now that is like the most elite class that we've ever seen. I get all of that, but like this is the bed you made. I, I part of me looks at it and it's like for as good as last year was, this year was equally equally as bad. It was like the, it, it is inarguable, and ultimately, you don't think that's expectation based though. Like no. you, if you if you went twelve and five last year, eleven and six last year, got to the playoffs and ended up going to the to the title game at least, and ended up the season ended the same way it did last year. You don't think this year would have been? You would have been like, all right, not what we expected. Took like half a step back. You're saying you're falling off the cliff right now. I mean, that's what this team did. This team fell off a cliff. You know, like I and I think I would say this about any team. I think if Mike McDaniel in year two this year took the took the Dolphins to the Super Bowl and they completely fell off in this dramatic and and embarrassing of a fashion. You have to consider it. You just do. And, and look, I understand I'm tied closely and I read all the clips and I am I know more about the Eagles than I do any other team, no question. But to me, culture is something that gets developed over long time. Like, I'll put it this way. Would a collapse like this ever, ever happen under Mike Frame? No, because he's pretty steady. I exactly. would think. Exactly. But also... <clears throat> He spent years building. And the perfect example is how the Titans finished their season. Titans had nothing to play for. The Titans, as a roster, should have been one of the three or four worst teams in the league. They ended up winning six games this year. And they knocked one of their division rivals out of the playoffs in a game that they had nothing to play for, right? And that is 100% culture-related. That is a head coach who, who, who players die for who players fight to the fucking end for that doesn't happen with this fucking Philadelphia Eagles team and part of it is because Sirianni in all these press conferences you know last year was all about the accountability train right everything about it was the accountability train it was they went through and all the film and they assigned you know this person fucked up here this person fucked up here I fucked up here this coach fucked up here like everybody was held accountable right and you were talking about that like oh well you know Sirianni, he goes to bat for the players and he takes the blame before him. Fucking awesome. Does it change? Has anything changed? Has anything changed during this slide? Have you proven that you're able to adjust when shit hits the fan? Because you're the one adjustment that Sirianni's made in his career as the head coach of the Eagles, and again, three, three seasons, smaller sample size. We're not talking about a decade here. But in those three seasons, the biggest adjustment he ever made was giving Shane Steichen the play calling responsibility. Right. Since then, he's made almost no adjustments. He didn't have his hands on the defense. He didn't have his hands on the offense. Yeah, he was in the meetings. Yeah, he was organizing. Yeah, he was the the conductor. What he did was develop culture. Remember the the, the flower bit and watering the flower and the roots come down and then it comes out to what happened mm -hmm. to all that shit? 
He was corny as fuck. Philly embraced it when they were winning, but of course that was never going to be sustainable when they lose. You know, since that Chiefs game, when he's walking off the, the field and, and, and cursing out teams, you know, how do you like that shit or whatever the hell he said? You know, when all that stuff was going on, yeah, Philly fans were digging it. But how many times did we talk in our group chat earlier in the season when the Eagles were 5-1, and 6-1? and one, Did I told you guys, this is not the same team. I smelt it from the fucking first game of the season. And it just continued. Yeah, Patriots, to, right? Yeah, and it just continued to develop week after week and ultimately the players got sick of being like hey we don't we shouldn't have to be asked to be fucking you know godlike in terms of football players in order for us to win football games we have enough talent that good coaching imagine like think about what Kevin O'Connell did with Josh Dobbs and Nick Mullins to be able to throw for 400 yards even in games that they lost you know think about all these backups think about what Zach uh Zach Taylor was able to do with Jake Browning like Brian Callahan, the offensive coordinator for the Bengals. Think, look what they were able to do with such less talent that they were still able to optimize. The fact that you had these guys in here and that report by that article by Tim McManus, like spread, spreads it all out. Sirianni had way too many fingerprints all over this entire thing. And if you are not going to be the play caller, then you need to trust the guy who is calling plays to call fucking plays. The only time, like, Jim Harbaugh in the national championship and this whole run with Michigan is a great example. Harbaugh didn't call plays on offense, didn't call plays on defense. The only things that Harbaugh oversaw in terms of in-game stuff was going for it on fourth downs and and challenges, which in college isn't really a, a legitimate challenge, but, like, getting the replays done. Like, that. that's essentially all he did in terms of in-game management. Everything else, he trusted the guys around him. Sirianni hired guys he didn't trust. And he limited the guys that Sean Desai wanted to bring in from Seattle to support him and his system because they weren't the guys that Sirianni signed off on. I, I think this whole thing runs so much deeper. And I think it's about a, a coach who, you're right, is in over his head and was trying to do a million things to try to solve it. Which basically just tells me, and we talked about this earlier in the season, right? How crazy it is that we have a quarterback who has the demeanor of a head coach and a head coach who has the demeanor of a player. And I think Sirianni's like lack of control and like lack of being able to, to stay steady in big moments has cost this team greatly. The fact that they've made zero adjustments against the Blitz, nothing to help solve the glaring issues that Peyton Manning and, and Ray Lewis and yeah. Eli Manning last night are screaming at the TV on the Manning <laughs> cast, being like, what the fuck are these guys doing? Yeah. Like, it, it, it's 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 basic level coaching shit, and it's all born out of what I think is pure neuroses on the side of Nick Sirianni. And I think Neri, Sirianni's way in over his head, I have zero faith coming back with essentially the same core group to go out and win games. But if you bring in Vrabel, if you bring in a Ben Johnson, if you bring in a, a, a Slovak from uh, um, Houston, from Houston, the offensive coordinator there, these really brilliant offensive minds who are able to scheme things up the way that Steichen did, it's right there for the taking. You can run it back next year. Ham Jurgens replacing Kelsey, like yeah, you're you're losing Kelsey. That's never going to be the same ever again. I think Cam Jurgens will do a good job. You'll find a Tyler Steen, whatever, play right guard. You'll be okay. You have Stoutland. But it can't be Sirianni. I just I don't yeah. see a way when you collapse this hard that NFL players will look at you and trust you to run a team ever again. They might appreciate that he has their back, 
you know, in press conferences and shit. And that, you know, like Vito told us a story about him FaceTiming Cam Jurgens and and Grant Calcaterra and these guys about like, hey, you know, oh, yeah, no, he checks in, talks to them. I'm sure he's great with the players one on one. That doesn't mean he knows what the fuck he's doing. It just means he has good personal yeah. skills. Because I think on the field, too, the two most damning things, the stats that are on, on average per game, <clears throat> um, and then on offense and defense, too, but mostly on offense, uh, the Eagles' point differential in the five losses down this stretch, down the one and six stretch they had, the point differential was 13 and a half points per game. Yep. And that's think just it, not trusting your guys on, on think, either side. Think about the teams that you're playing, too. Like, yeah. Think yeah, about right. the teams that you that you lost to. I mean, you lost to Drew Locke. You lost to Tyrod Taylor. You lost to Kyler Murray with no OTAs and no training camp who came in halfway through the season. I mean, you lost. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, the, look, the, the <laughs> Niners and Cowboys games were awful. But, like, the gap. The gap between what the Cowboys are in terms of just a functioning football team. And now, granted, like, yeah, they Mike McCarthy, like, shit himself, you know, in that game, which we always say there's the Mike McCarthy game, there's the Dak game where they shit themselves. But in the regular season, miles apart from where the Eagles finished the season. And, like, to me, I think the gap is bigger from where they were coming into the season, where they were at at, at 8-1, and 9-1, and 10-1, to where they finished than it was from where they were to where they were in the Super Bowl last year. And that, to me, is the big thing is, like, if Sirianni let it drop that far to expect that he's going to be able to pull you back out of it. Yeah. I just, I just don't think it's possible. I really don't. And the sad part of all of it is the guys you feel the most awful for, especially, you know, Kelsey who just announced his retirement. Yeah. And we got to get to that too and move on to the rest of the games, but, and then, and, uh, you know, the other, the old guard, Fletch, that's still there. Brandon Graham, who's in his 15, 14th year, maybe going into his 15th. Those guys. Lane Johnson. Who, yeah. He was a head coach at Sirianni. Yeah, you have to you have to lean on those guys to to be, like, the middle management from the CEO to, like, help create the culture in the locker room. That was a failure, a colossal failure to those guys um, as well. And and it makes it all the more sad that that was the end for uh, – uh, for for Jason Kelsey, who's one of the greatest, if not the greatest center of all time, um, to to go out that way, um, yeah, man, that 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 really sucks. And and you, you saw it on the sideline at the end of the game last night, and as he was coming off the field, yeah. And, and the last thing I'll say on Sirianni, because I do want to get to the Jason Kelsey thing, and then we'll take a break and we'll go through the rest of the games. And, and look, I, I know this feels like it's turning into an Eagles podcast. Forgive me listeners and friends of the read option. Like I, I need this space, you know, it's therapy. there's very, there's very few times as, as like the host of the show that I just like domineer and make it all about the Eagles or make it all about shit for me. Like this is a moment that I need it. So I hope you guys can understand and appreciate that. Sirianni throughout his career as the head coach of the Eagles in these three seasons has really only faced it like major adversity, like twice. Right. His first season when the season when, when the season was going down the tank. Right. And they 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 essentially what Sirianni did was pass the buck off. He goes, I'm calling plays. My solution to this is to give myself less responsibility and to give it to Shane Steichen. Right. That solved that problem. Last year, no adversity, easy schedule. They plow through it. They get all the way to the Super Bowl. They get the the lucky break with with Purdy's elbow. 
you know, with, with how easy they were able to get to the pass rusher and all that stuff. They capitalized an opportunity to get to the Super Bowl. They damn near win the fucking Super Bowl. This is the second time, right? This year was the second time that we saw Sirianni really face adversity. And the way that he absolutely fucking crumbled because he didn't have someone else to pass the buck off to, to, to pass off responsibility, to pass off other things. It's like, no, dude, this is your show. You're the fucking head coach. This is your show. Fix this. And his complete inability to do that is the biggest indictment of what Sirianni has been as a head coach that yeah. I that I I can see. And and I just don't see a world where that gets any better if he returns in 2024. Um, and it's sad, man. It's sad because you have this talent, you have this group of old timers, you have this great collection, you know. And and for for Jason Kelsey to to walk off with this and look, so, 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 so few players get the opportunity to win a Super Bowl and ride off into the sunset. Right. You're like Andrew Whitworth, Ray Lewis, Peyton Manning. You you, you can count them in our lifetime on like one hand. How many like core guys, big name guys get a chance to do that. But Jason Kelsey deserved more than this. Jason Kelsey deserved. This this is an embarrassment. Like this is this isn't just like oh we lost in the playoffs in a hard fought game and it didn't quite work out. This is the most embarrassing format form of the Philadelphia Eagles I've seen in my lifetime. It's the the fall of the Roman Empire. It is, and, and and now the guy who is one of the single most beloved athletes in the history of Philadelphia sports. I have a Jason Kelsey jersey that I got for Christmas that I'm. So excited and so proud to be able to have because he is that good. It's one of the few cities in the world where, you know, or in the country that the number one selling jersey is at least one of the number one selling jerseys is an offensive lineman. I mean, the city reveres this dude. You know, I remember when the Ben Simmons stuff was going on when he was on the Sixers and Kelsey's comments on that in a completely different sport resonated with the city as hard as it did. Like we talked about that on this pod a couple of years ago, like, Mm -hmm. The fact that that dude who means so much to the city, who wore the Mummers outfit, who who gave the speech on the, on the Rocky Steps at the Art Museum, pounding his fists on the table, it's the whole team, all that stuff. The fact that that's how this guy goes out is a fucking travesty. And it falls on Sirianni and it falls on the rest of this team because Kelsey deserved so much better. and And this team did for the amount of talent that's on it for the shit job that this coaching staff put up and Kelsey will be, you know, I, I saw a stat. There's five centers of all time uh, ever to have like six plus all pros and seven plus pro bowls um, to, to uh, ever who just ever had those like two things. And all, all four of them were already in the hall of fame. So it, it does seem like he'll get in. I don't think he'll be a first ballot um, because offensive linemen don't get that credit especially five years from now when he's eligible. Um, but I I do think we will see Jason Kelsey in Canton one day. And I think we're going to see a, a, a very different version of the Eagles. It's it's weird to think. I mean, 2009 is when he, he came in. He was part of the 2009 draft class, 14 seasons uh, or 13 seasons rather. Um, and like I was in middle school <laughs> when the Eagles drafted, you know, Jason Kelsey. And now – uh, imagining a world where there's someone else under center other than him is, uh, or, or I shouldn't say under center, but being playing center, um, 
is crazy. It's a very, very crazy thing. And and look, I think Cam Jorgens is is he was hand selected by Kelsey as his replacement. He got a year playing next to Kelsey at right guard, which I think will help. I think the Eagles getting a little bit of extra size at that right guard position and being able to move Cam Jurgens to center will help because I think they'll be able to do some more of that power run game stuff that that we were hoping for. Again, assuming that things change with the front office, but um, look, it's tough. It's tough whenever like an all time great in in your city, your franchise goes down like that and and retires. Um, I shouldn't say goes down, but you know, walks off into the sunset. Um, and I, and he just deserved better. Um, but that being said, he will forever be loved in the city of Philadelphia, and he's gonna you know get the chance to spend the time with his family and get his body right and be able to enjoy the rest of his life. You know, and and bank being. You know, one of the core core members and and key figures of this team uh, in in franchise history that that you know was able to be one of the few that brought this team a Super Bowl. And I, th- I you know I think about this often when it comes to Kelsey. If Kelsey doesn't make that speech, if if Jason Kelsey doesn't make that speech before Mahomes and and before Kelsey, you know Travis won his they won their Super Bowls, all that stuff. I don't think Jason Kelsey is is the household name that we think of today. Hmm. I, I I think without that speech, I, I really do believe this in the way that it went crazy viral and was leading sports, all that stuff. And it's memorable to even non-Eagles fans. I don't think the, the New Heights podcast exists. I don't think Philly, because like Philly loved him, but they really, like it was like, a, this is our guy now. Because of that speech, you know, well, that, it's, yeah. it's, it's similar with Chase Utley, you know, when Chase Utley and the Phillies won the World Series in 08, you know, he walked up to the podium to give his speech. <clears throat> he walked out and he said, world champions. And the crowd goes nuts. And he goes, world fucking champions. And the place exploded, you know, and it was like this hot mic moment, you know, that everyone saw live. And it was like one of the best things ever. And we again, everybody loved Chase. But of that Chase Utley, Jimmy Rollins, Ryan Howard, Cole Hamels, like all those guys that were on that team, like Chase was like the guy that embodied Philly, you know? And and I swear part of that was the way he played, no question. But then he had that big media moment. And I feel yeah. like with Kelsey, when Kelsey gave that speech, it was like the, oh yeah, we always all loved Kelsey, but he didn't get talked about on Monday Night Football the way that Troy Aikman and Joe Buck yeah, like and these the guys casuals talked about wouldn't. The casuals wouldn't know. You're exactly. right. No, and 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 to to that, like I was searching for a reason why, and you nailed it. Like to me, he's as much as a part of of Philadelphia as as um, as Philadelphia is a part of him. Um, yeah, you know, because um, his whole life is there. Number one, number two, like because of that, like moment, because of that, that his greatness in that moment, um, it sort of cemented cemented the case, right? Like. This guy is is this guy's like not only a real talent, um, but he's a he's a presence for and a and a and a guy we can put up on a billboard in our city and be yeah. like, yeah, it's a fucking offensive lineman and what? Yeah. Like and it's the underdogs, favorite. right? I mean, that's what yeah. that whole run was, the underdog masks with Chris Long and Lane Johnson and all that stuff. It was that gritty, underappreciated, under talked about, didn't get the credit, but just showed up and did his job, that blue collar mentality stuff just that resonates. Exactly. It resonates in a city like Philadelphia in a way that very, very few athletes have been able to. And I think that moment where the the biggest spotlight in sports, you know, we we walked away from that Super Bowl 
you know, talking about the Philly special and Nick Foles and all this stuff. Kelsey was doing the same unbelievable all pro type shit that he was doing then, you know, that he's doing now. And, and think about it, you know, that was 2017, 2018. That was six years ago, right? He has six all pros that have all come after the age of 30. Jason Kelsey's 36 years old, right? Like he was getting respect as one of the best, but he really came into his own from that year of the, they won the Super Bowl until now. And I swear that speech and getting him in the spotlight and how magic that moment was really cemented his national reputation. It cemented every broadcaster talking about how good he is. And then you add the Phillies, the not the, the tush push in the last the last two years and how good he is at doing that. Um, and it's just it's awesome, man. I, I, I I'm going to miss him. He's one of my favorite athletes of all time. And yep. he's one of the city's favorite athletes of all time. I mean, I think if you were to tell Eagles fans to pick the best player in all four sports in the history of, of you know, Philly sports, you'd go probably AI or Dr. J. You'd say Bobby Clark for the Flyers. You'd say Chase Utley, Ryan Howard, Mike Schmidt for the Phillies and for the Eagles. No love for Robin Roberts, huh? Wow. Left all right. It. I mean, that's a, that's a fair one. You know, Steve Jeez. Carlton, you know, there's, there's plenty of good ones, but I think Schmitty would be the one that takes the cake out of that. Maybe chase. <laughs> and then you would finish with the Eagles and you go Chuck Bednarik, Steve Van Buren, Jason Kelsey, more than Donovan, more than Randall Cunningham, yeah. more than, you know, H- Harold Carmichael, more than all those guys, you would go Jason Kelsey, I think in the modern era as like your number one Eagle of all time. And he deserves Dawkins. It. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, B doc would be in that conversation too, but I, to me, like Kelsey moving on is of that same level and, and yeah. him retiring as a bird is uh it's bittersweet. I'm happy for him because the city loves him and they love his wife and they love his family. Um, But I mean, you saw it, him on the sidelines crying there with Stoutland at the end. It was, I knew, like I knew in that moment, like there was a party yeah. that was holding out hope, but selfishly as a fan, I wanted it, but as as a fan of Jason Kelsey, the person, I I, I was like, it's time, man. It's yeah. time. You and know, the body go, language go. Too. When I saw it, I was like, oh yeah, I don't think yeah. he's going. <laughs> and nobody walks more uncomfortably than than Jason Kelsey, and that's because of how much pain he's in. Like just on a day to day basis, you walk him walk, he looks like the Tin Man from Wizard of Oz. He's so stiff. So uh, I I wish him the best in retirement, and uh, we'll miss him dearly. We'll miss him dearly. I will too, as a non-Eagles fan. I I will miss his presence on a football field because you know, as an opponent, every time, especially since we started doing the podcast, talking about how we need to to scheme up a defense to beat this offense, that was like, yeah. What do you do with that guy? Or B was like, what do you do with that guy to get to take him out of the picture on your blocks? Yeah. Um, and you and think was, about the guys he's played with, man. I mean, he overlapped. I'm pretty sure he overlapped with like John Runyon and Trey Thomas and like some all time guys. I mean, he played for years, um, but he is. It'll be interesting to see because Jeffrey Lurie trusts him and BG and those guys in terms of coaching decisions. And I would love to know unfiltered exactly what his thoughts are. Maybe we'll get it. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure it'll be around too. that new heights. Whatever that new heights episode drops this week. It's gonna be uh it's gonna be an all timer. I'm gonna be tuning in for that for sure. All right, lots of birds talk, but we will get into the rest of the uh, wild card weekend after a quick break. So hang on, we'll be back on just the uh on the other side. We'll recap the rest of the weekend. 
All right. Now that we're past the Eagles stuff and overall thoughts, we're going to go through all the other games from the weekend. Uh, again, four out of the five remaining games were all blowouts. So uh, I'm going to say let's start with the Rams and Lions because that was one of the <clears throat> that was the best game by far of the entire weekend. Uh, I don't know overall thoughts here. I, I I thought the Lions came out on fire in that game, right? Offensively, it felt like everything Ben Johnson schemed up was working. Jared Goff came out like ripping the ball back and forth. And his this first 14 throws, right? Yeah. Uh, and in fact, it wasn't until the Rams were on the goal line that there was an incompletion in this game because both quarterbacks were perfect through their opening drives until the Rams got all the way down to like the five yard line. Um, but yeah, I mean, as a whole, I was just like, I thought the, I, Based off of just the first half, you would have thought the Lions would have blown this game out by like two scores, right? And this is the thing that scares me about the Lions and why I I think the Lions are good. And I think there's a very good chance they get to the NFC Championship game. But I look at what the Lions do and I think if they go up against San Francisco, there's no way that this is going to be sustainable, right? They could come out hot in the first half. But these collapses that they have in the second half where they just open themselves up to so much. And this is, this is what the Rams team has done all year, right? Like they did it against the Eagles earlier in the year. They did it against the Ravens. It's just like they just keep hanging around. They just find ways to stay into it. And a lot of that is a testament to the coaching job of Sean McVay, who I think did a phenomenal job coaching this team up. The in-game stuff with McVay is still a problem. The timeout management I thought was really bad in the second half of this game. Uh, and they got very lucky with that holding call that that pushed the uh, the Rams back ten yards, knocked them out of field goal range. Because uh, if that play, if that holding call does, if that flag doesn't go, if the ref doesn't see it or whatever, we're talking about a totally totally different game here. Yeah, uh, in which the Rams probably find a way to kick a, at least kick a field goal and win, and you know at least go up and force the Rams to kind of come back and put up some points instead. The, or the Lions come back and put up some points. Instead, the Lions, they're able to get that stop, they get the ball back, and then that was kind of all she wrote by the end of the game there. Um, but, yeah, I just – I was impressed. The the Lions' run defense is legit. You know, they've had the number one run defense in the NFL. That's going to help them a lot if they end up playing uh, San Francisco in the NFC Championship game. It should help them this week against Tampa Bay. Uh, to me, though, it's the same issues in the back end. Like Puka Nakua, 180-plus yards in the air. That dude's so good. Yeah, man. I, I was texting you. I was like, he is just fun to watch play football. I, yeah. And, and I responded. I was like, I, you know, <laughs> I hate the Rams. I hate the Rams. I do. But I have nothing but respect for what Puka Nakua is doing right now. I Like, I, hat off uh, yeah. to you, bud. I mean, uh, but far and away, I, I mean, mean, we could have said, you know, someone could have made the case about the, oh, well, you got an extra game. That's why you broke the rookie record. Uh, receiving yards in a year. This game cements that it is the single greatest rookie season of a wide receiver in the history of the NFL. It's just not even, it's not even close. I mean, the dude is just a fucking monster. And the way he goes up after contested catches, I worry about his longevity a little bit because I mean, he takes fuck. He's physical and he takes some shots. Yeah. Well, even on yak plays, like he, he will like lower his shoulder and be like, I'll run through you. I don't care. Yeah. Um, I'm bigger and stronger than you. (laughs) Yeah, Mr. Cornerback who's coming at me at full speed. Yeah. Um, But no, as as a whole, I just, yeah, I I was impressed at the lines. You know, again, they got big stops when they need to. The offense disappeared in the second half, which, 
you know, they need to figure out. It seems like this is this story has been pretty common with the Lions this year where they come out looking really good on offense and then the defense has a quick answer for them. And then, you know, at halftime and then it kind of disappears. So they definitely need to make sure they kind of fix that part of it up uh, moving forward. But in the meantime, the Lions just kind of keep doing what they've done all year, which is they have this sneaky ability, which we talked about with the Eagles earlier in the season, which is just like they kind of just win football games. You know, it's not always pretty. Sometimes they get to come up on the other side, but they just find ways to win football games in kind of unexpected and weird ways. And like that Cowboys game, they should have won. You know, like that's a game they should have won. The, the the refs and everything that happened there was kind of bullshit. But like hey, that would have changed the playoff picture entirely. So, well, what's ironic is, you know, <laughs> we would have been in a very similar spot right now. Now, granted, it would have been Lions Packers instead of Cowboys Packers. So who knows what would have happened in that game? But I, I do think that the Lions as a whole, um, they have that gene in them, which they they kind of come up big for big stops. And this is, I thought, in terms of, and granted, I haven't watched all, you know, 100-plus snaps of, of every Lions game, but I was really impressed with Aiden Hutchinson. I thought down the stretch he was a total game wrecker and, and really caused Stafford to be like, you know, Stafford had to make big plays in very little time while under a lot of pressure. And... I think for what Aiden Hutchinson was able to do, being the lead guy on that line of scrimmage, setting the tone, um, I, I think I think it makes the Lions a legit contender here. I, I think it would take a Herculean effort to get past the Niners, uh, and we'll see obviously what happens with Tampa Bay. But I don't know, man. I, I I think offensively they have the firepower. Jameson Williams got in it earlier in this game. Josh Reynolds got in it earlier in this game. Amon Ross St. Brown is just all reliable at this point already. Uh, and then you get Sam Laporta in the mix playing on a busted up knee. You know, I think having Laporta out there just as a, even if it's a decoy, even though, yes, he did cut, catch a touchdown pass. It just may, it's one other thing the defense has to think about. And Laporta has already cemented himself as one of those top three to top five tight ends in football. Tight end one of fantasy this year, if you believe that. Um, was he really? He was ahead yeah, of Kelsey. Tight end one of PPR. Yep. Wow. Um, which I think is the first rookie to do that since Travis. I was going to say, anyway, it has to be. We're, we're not uh, here to talk fantasy. I, look, I think this Lions team is good when they're playing from in front. I really do. Because they can control the game. Um, if if Stafford's out there slinging the ball, uh, if everyone's healthy, or Stafford, ooh, it's 40 and slip. <laughs> if Goff is out there slinging the ball um, and this team is healthy, yeah. Because, so you're right, when Sam Laporte is out there, that's one more thing to worry about. I think it's more an indictment of, like, this is kind of what we thought the the Rams defense. Granted, they played pretty well down the stretch. Um, this is kind of what the Rams defense has been all year. Just uh, Aaron Donald, a bunch of guys that we don't know. Aaron Donald gets double teamed, triple teamed, and then it's like, who else? Um, now and... they did credit to was it Byron Young, and then they had one other rookie. Yeah. They had two rookies had almost double digit sacks they're, this year. So like, they're gonna be they're gonna be set. Like. Uh, I, but like in, in terms of especially in the second level and, and in the back end, yeah, um, it is where is where we see the problems. Very when young. You put a guy like Sam Laporta out there uh, against a, a linebacking core that doesn't have a true coverage linebacker. Um, yeah, he's going to wreck a game when you have uh, a secondary that has to worry about uh, Jameson Williams taking the top off and Josh Reynolds taking the top off or running the intermediate route. And Amon Ross St. Brown can do any one of those two things and run the underneaths, which he did a lot of in the first half, particularly. Um, I, I, 
that that's that's where I'm like, all right, I think this was more on the the Rams defense. Um, at least the first half was more on the Rams defense than it was like how good the the Lions were are are on offense. I mean, they can be explosive, but none of those plays were explosive. Uh, moving the ball down the field to go up uh, 14-3 after the first quarter. Um, and so I w- we'll see. I mean, that could change depending on the game. But again, if they're playing in front, then Aiden Hutchinson and those boys on the line can pin their ears back and go after Stafford, right? And take Kyron Williams' running game out of the game, right? Which has been how the, the Lions find success uh, or Rams find success for uh, on offense for most of the year. So we'll see. I think... Uh, uh, I think it was more an indictment on uh, on the ineptitudes of the Rams throughout the season that we were like, yeah, they're good, but – and this was the but. Um, yeah, and I look, I thought the Rams played pretty good. I mean, after yeah. the way the first half looked in that game, and then to bounce back and, and lock up defensively in the second half, I mean, Raheem Morris deserves a ton of credit for the job he's done, and he's getting head coaching interviews for a reason. For sure. Um, you know, despite the fact that his first stint as a head coach uh, with Tampa Bay did not go great. Uh, I thought the job he's done coaching up that defense with a lot of young, young talent is really yeah. impressive, particularly with how easily that the Lions were able to move the football. I agree with you. I do think they're a tough team to play against when they are take when they have a lead. But I think what makes the Lions defense is that even if you're in a back and forth game with them, they can still like push you in a shootout. You know, they still have the ability to win shootout type games. They also have the ability to win a 24 to 23 type game where it's going to be close and back and forth. And the running game is going to be really important between Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery. That offensive line is bullying people. I mean, I think I think there's a very strong argument that the Lions have the best O-line in all of football right now. And I think when you go up against teams in the postseason, as we talk about every year, like that's a huge factor. And the thing is, like, Aiden Hutchinson's great, but the interior of that defensive line for Detroit is also very, very good. You know, they don't quite have anybody to match Hutchinson on the other side in terms of edge rushers, but they generate pressure from all across the defensive line. And even if it's a similar situation to, like, last year with San Francisco versus Philly, where, you know, you're going to force – you know, the right tackle and tight end and, and Kittle or whoever on San Francisco to stay in and block because Hutchinson's becoming that much of a problem. Now you're getting one-on-one matchups. You get one less receiver in the field. That's going to at least help out your secondary. The problem remains the same. If Puka Nakua is going off for 180 against you, you know, in, in the secondary, like that's just Puka. Now, now they did a really good job against Cooper Cup and Cooper Cup was very quiet in this game. But imagining all of the pre-snap motion and all the creativity that Shanahan, yeah, <clears throat> that Shanahan brings to the table with that <laughs> offense, like to me, it still seems like San Francisco is still just a full class above them. That's not to say that San Francisco could have a bad day or there's an injury or something that pops up that Detroit's not able to pull off a win like that. But what Jared Goff is doing, not making mistakes, you know, he had that little dip earlier in the season where it was like, or later in the regular season, it was like week. 12-ish. It was right around Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that game against the Packers on Thanksgiving Day, right? Where it's like, what the hell is going on with Jared Goff? All of a sudden, he's turned the ball over, and there was like a three-game stretch. It feels like he's back to like fully confident, knows where the ball is going. He's delivering strikes, but they need to be able to play a, a ground control, clock controlling type of game to beat teams that are more talented than them. And yeah. I, I think... And they didn't we... win the possession battle this this game. I know. And I, and that was a big credit to like for as good as the run defense was against Kyron Williams in the first half, the Lions were able to get some stuff going on the ground a little bit because Puka Nakua was just eating their lunch left and right. And 
just because Puka's eaten, you still have to remember that like, oh yeah, less than two years ago, the Triple Crown winner for the first time in 25 years or whatever it was, Cooper Cup is sitting on the other side there. And yeah, maybe he's a little banged up or not 100% or he's not quite what he was two years ago, but Cooper Cup is still a damn good wide receiver and you still got to pay attention to him, which if that means your number two guys matched up against Puka, you know, that's a problem. I'd say it's going to be the same issue when they go up against San Francisco or if they go up against San Francisco and potentially this weekend when they're going up against Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, you know, and and that's the one thing with this Lions team that I just can't fully get around is how inconsistent the secondary plays. Now, again, they did a great yeah. job of icing out Cooper Cup in this game, but if Puka Nakua is getting 185 yards through the air, you know, what's Debo getting? What's Brandon Ayuk getting? What's Kittle getting? What's Kittle. McCaffrey getting, right? Yeah. And I think the run defense is set up to play really, really well against the Niners running attack. Same thing with, with Tampa Bay. It's the outside guys. It's it's what happens when Hutchinson is a half second late and Baker or uh, Brock Purdy's able to get the ball out. That, to me, is where they're going to get into trouble. And then on top of that, you're talking about two teams in Tampa Bay and then potentially San Francisco with really, really good defenses where you think, all right, yeah. are we going to be able to go score for score with them if our secondary is getting torched? I don't know if you're going to be able to do that against either one of those teams. Or um, even the 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 run game that, and this has the, been the problem I've had with the Rams run game. Kyron Williams is so good that you can do whatever you want with him, but all they do is run him up the gut and, and like force like he'll hide behind offensive linemen and make cuts in the in the second level after he gets past the offensive lineman, but like. I'm not convinced that the Lions defense is elite on like stretch run plays where like you're pulling everybody outside like an offensive line like Tampa's who's been underrated this year, even San Francisco's uh, who they might play in the in the championship game. Guys who like Trent Williams can pull all the way to the opposite side and get upfield like that's that's where I think they might have have trouble in the run game. But yeah, another conversation for another day. Yeah, it's gonna be really interesting. I I there I don't know what the lines are yet. I haven't pulled them up yet, but I'm assuming they're 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 probably at least five and a half point favorites against Tampa Bay. Um, would uh, probably see, I, I would say home, yeah. Yeah, well, I like this. I want to try to guess the lines. We'll do the Bill Simmons guess the lines here. Uh, I'm gonna say I think it's I think it's Lions five and by five and a half. Ooh, I'll find a point. Is it six and a half? Yeah. Oh, I almost said six and a half too. Damn, that's pretty good though. I was I was right around it. Yeah. We'll test out my my Vegas lines here though. Um, but yeah, no, I I thought the Lions played a really good football game. And again, like being able to win close games matters. I want to see them put Tampa Bay away next week because they're a better football team. They should win that game. They should be able to get after Baker. Um, and Tampa Bay is like you know they're they're not a bad team. The Eagles made them look like an amazing team. Uh, but I think Tampa Bay looked that good because the Eagles were that bad last night, more so than Tampa Bay is just that awesome. Yeah, but I mean, Tampa Bay struggled. has the weapons that they can push the ball on you, right? They can they can run the ball. They can do a bunch of things. I think if if Detroit's able to shut down the run game, I think Detroit should be cruising through that game. I think it's going to be a fun game to watch. Um, but also, it's like, look, I mean, this game came down to a point against the Rams. What's that game going to look like against a team like San Francisco has been putting people away? It, it feels like On they're the road. In, yeah. in a different <laughs> class. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's go back to Saturday. We'll start Browns, Texans, CJ Stroud. What a stud. What an absolute I love this stud kid. this guy is, man. Um, I, I just, nothing phases him. The processing stuff. You know, you know what I love about the CJ Stroud story is he was the forgotten guy 
in the draft last year, right? All the buzz was like, oh, do you go Bryce Young, the Heisman winner, the guy's won the national championships and all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. Actually, I don't know if Bryce won a national championship when he was at Bama. I don't think he did. Um, but you just look at him, you're like, man, this guy's an absolute stud, you know, pocket mobility, great throws left and right. He was terrible this year and a great play for Carolina, but also was objectively terrible himself. And then there was Anthony Richardson. Who's like, look at this physical freak. Oh my God. He's Cam Newton 2.0, but more athletic, you know? And, and then you had CJ Stroud there in the middle where you're like, I don't know. He looked good against Georgia, but the rest of it's kind of like, Oh, how state quarterbacks? Are they even any good? Who knows? Like we didn't even like, we didn't give him the credit that he deserved coming out of, you know, we all kind of penciled him in to be like the guy you're like, yeah, he'll go too. But, you know, I don't know. Kind of like the way that, you know, people talked about like Carson Wentz and, and Jared Goff. It's like, oh, yeah, one of them's going to go one and the other guy, whatever. You know, he was like an afterthought, even though he was the second overall pick in the draft. The dude throws the fucking lights out of the ball, man. And the way that they were able to attack. One of, and now, look, Miles Garrett's been banged up for a couple months now. You weren't getting prime Miles Garrett. The pass rush wasn't great. But Laramie Tunsil and the rest of that offensive line for Houston balled out. They've been able to run the ball the second half of the season, even though yeah. statistically they're one of the worst run def- running teams in football. And then you just let C.J. Stroud drop back and just pick defenses apart. I mean, his football IQ is at such an insane level for a dude who's a rookie and his processing ability to put the ball where it's supposed to be. And to think that they were just a couple of feet in multiple instances from breaking this game open even more is insane. There's a couple of deep shots that were really close to hitting. Uh, And then, of course, Joe Flacco. Ultimately, look, the first pick wasn't great. The second one was just classic Joe Flacco. Just like, what are you thinking here, man? The one that gets taken back. And then at that point, it was like, it was all Houston. Houston was running away from it. And, and I, is it crazy to think that the Texans are going to give a fight to Baltimore, you know, a week off, two weeks off for the starters, like, or three weeks off, I guess you consider two weekends off for the the starters for, for, for Baltimore. I don't think it's that crazy. I, I think, I think Houston can fuck around and find a way to win this football game. I really do. Well, wouldn't that be nice for us? Or maybe not. Cause Mahomes is still in it. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I'm, I'm with you, man. I, I love this team. I love everything they're doing. Um, I think D'Amico Ryans is, to me, hands down coach of the year for what he's been able to do with this team. Um, but man, I, all all credit to them. Um, I just like they, they're such a phenomenal, fun show to watch, and it's because they have all these young guys, right? It's like there's no way that they're going to be this good this quickly, right? No shot. Uh especially when they can't run the ball, right? No, that doesn't matter. CJ Stroud goes out there and balls out. Nico Collins goes out there and balls out. Revan Jordan has an electric touchdown on a catch and run that I did not think tight ends could run that fast at all yeah. um, down the sideline. So, like, these guys, and there's something to be said, too, I think, and I think I, I brought this up last week. There's something to be said when, like, you don't know what the expectation of postseason football is, and you go in almost completely blind and everybody's in the same scenario and you're like, fuck it. Let's all play for each other. Like we've been doing all season long. Let's go ball out together. And they do. Uh, They proved it this week. The Browns uh, only four times this season gave up. And granted Houston had the two, uh, the, the two defensive touchdowns 
So that's 14 points. So, you know, they're at what, 31. Um, Without those, the Browns only gave up 30 points four times this season. Wow. And and CJ Stroud just went out there and and put it on them. Um, Like, man, and so much. I would have loved to see that game in week 16 with him healthy. Um, but I think that's part of it. Like the four weeks he got off when he, when he was injured to, to be able to rest. And now he's back fully healthy. He's not like the banged up quarterback, rookie quarterback we're seeing going into his first postseason game. Um, I think that's part of the story too. So, uh, credit to them, man. I think they can, I think they can roll with anyone at this point. And, and look, I, not to toot my own horn, but like I was huge on Will, Will Anderson. You know, if he had, if he was able to have come out the year trade, that dude. <laughs> if he was able to come out the year that uh Trayvon Walker went one and Aiden Hutchinson went two, Will Anderson would have been the first overall pick. And right now, like Aiden Hutchinson or Will Anderson, I would rather have Will Anderson. Like I've been I've been a defender of this guy since the year that he should have won the Heisman over Bryce Young. And he didn't, right? He he and got for- a few votes or whatever, but he didn't get that credit. Like I've been all in on Will Anderson since he's been in Alabama, because the dude is an apps and we saw it like it took, it, it took him a little bit to kind of warm up. But in this game, like he was an absolute game record against everywhere. a really good offensive line for the Browns. You know, I know they, they were missing uh, uh, one of their, their, their left tackle, right? They Conklin, right? Or right tackle. One of the guys they lost like in week two, week one, week two. I've been all in on Will Anderson this whole time. And he finally had his like massive breakout game in the biggest moment. And he was destroying that game and just making Joe Flacco's life so fucking miserable. I I'm as all in on Will Anderson as anybody could be. And I, I think him leading the way you come out of it with an elite pass rusher, when the elite quarterback that trade as you were alluding to there, Scotty, I mean, the, the, the Texans are set, man. Yeah, he's, he's killing it. Shouts, shouts to the Texans, man. I, I'm going to be pulling for them uh, to see if they can pull the upset this week. What's uh, I'm going to say Baltimore by nine. Nailed it on the nose on the dot. Courtesy of ESPN bet. Uh, and that's that's the first game we get again on Saturday. So, yeah, uh, we will know relatively quickly. Damn, that uh, was an electric feeling that I got that on the on the fucking nose. Yeah, nailed it. I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you twenty bucks said, if you guess the over under on the dot. <laughs> uh, let's see. I'm gonna guess forty eight and a half. Ooh, very close. Forty four and a half. I almost said forty four, <clears throat> but I was like, no, that's gonna be too little because they believe in Houston in in Baltimore's offense. Fuck. I dude, I was this close to saying 44 and a half. God damn. All right. Well, that's pretty good. Though. And I was, was this close to making a poorly uh a poorly made handicap joke. Jesus. Uh yeah, I would I'll I'll take the over in that one though. I'll take the over in that game. Uh all right. Uh Saturday night, Dolphins Chiefs. The Chiefs, look, they controlled this game. The weather was brutal. Um, but this felt like, you know, now that it, hey, we have Rasheed Rice, that opened some up some stuff up for Kelsey. It's kind of like Mahomes and Chaco. two guys, and then Pacheco running the football. That feels like the the the, the Chiefs' offense is Mahomes, kind of the shell of Travis Kelsey because he's definitely not what he used to be. I get rookie Rasheed Rice that he at least <clears throat> trusts, and then Pacheco running the football. And you know what? 
that's enough to to me to believe that the Chiefs can win the Super Bowl. Like that is how fucking good Mahomes is that you can give him this, you know, the shittiest Swiss Army knife of all time, <laughs> and yet I still think he can MacGyver his way out of this and find a way to win the Super Bowl. Um, yeah, the Dolphins just had too much going up against them defensively. All the injuries definitely piled up. The weather was definitely a factor too, but uh, I mean, Tua was bad in this game, and I I think what we're seeing here is that. Tua, it can be really, really good when the when the situations are perfect around him, right? He can put up 70 points on a football team. When the conditions aren't perfect around him, an injury, the defense isn't great, you know, you don't have that power run game. I think they I think that's when we start to see Tua's. I mean, that interception was was re- the one over the middle of the field was a bad pick. Yeah. Um, and that's the stuff that Tua normally thrives at. Those layered balls over the middle of the field. You know, that's what he was so good at at college that he hasn't really been able to click with in the NFL. He still, they still have Tyreek. They still have Mike McDaniel. They still have a good running game. I expect them to go back to the drawing board. You know, losing Jalen Phillips late in the season and Bradley Chubb, like that really hurts them, particularly from a cap perspective, um, because they can't really go out and get another big time edge rusher. You know, they got to try to nail some guys in the draft. They'll get Jalen Phillips back, you know, for probably the second half of the season. But as we're learning, like, look, they, I mean, not learning. We've known this for a while, unless you're fucking a unicorn like Adrian Peterson, like, the ACL injury is tough. Like it takes you like a couple years. Like it takes like two seasons really for you to be like or one full season and then come back the year after to feel like you're fully back to a hundred percent. But yeah, man, that's an, that's an interesting one here. And and the chiefs, again, I feel like the chiefs are, are ready to kind of like, and maybe it's just the dolphins defense is that bad. I mean, the one thing we didn't really talk about going into that game was like how many missed opportunities the bills had in week 18, to put that game like really out of reach. And they just kept, you know, the, the end of the half play where they let the time run out and they didn't get any points, the interception in the end zone. I mean, the bills had 400 yards of offense in that game and they only had like, what was it like 21 points or something to show for it? Yeah. Um, I don't expect that to be the, the norm um, going up against this Dolphins defense. So, but I just think given the elements, man, and just Mahomes, like I'm just never going to doubt Mahomes ever. He's just, he's that good. Um, but we'll see moving forward, man. Yeah. The Chiefs are in a position. They got to go to Buffalo now. Um, but I think they have a pretty good shot to win that football game, too. Oh, I'm sure they will, especially as much as uh, the refs give uh, Mahomes uh, everything he wants. They don't give him I'm everything tired of he it. wants. I'm tired of it. Like, I Don't get me wrong. I, I will talk about his talent until the end of time. But this is the thing that people hate about LeBron in the NBA. And okay? Steph. And Steph, and Steph. <clears throat> you you benefited from this too. I have, but you do not like. I I cannot stand every single call, every single play. Even is a uh, a uh, uh, defensive lineman touching him. Uh, oh, I can't do that, dude. Uh, that's not what this game is about. Can't do that, dude. Um, is that your Mahomes? Or yeah, or if uh. <laughs> And just like talking the whole time, like shut the fuck up. And he's gotten a little whiny. He's gotten a little uh, whiny. The 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 call that ended up being the roughing the passer, nothing for like ten seconds. Oh, all of a sudden, here's a flag on the field. It's not roughing the passer, by the way. If you read the rule, he was out of the pocket, gave up his right to the two step rule. Doesn't matter. They're gonna give Mahomes that call twenty five times out of ten anyway. Um, 
I'm tired of it, man. Like, like go play football. I get it. Like it's, it, you're a competitor. You want the best for, for you. Your talent is immense. Let that speak for itself. You have in the, in the past, stop whining about every tiny little thing to go your way. Cause your receivers can't catch a fucking ball. All right. Get over it. Go play yeah. football. I mean, look, I, I understand what you're saying. I, I do. I do think he's gotten a little extra whiny over the last like year and a half. Um, but also like, I don't know, man, when you're that good, like Brady got those calls, Peyton got those calls, Rogers gets those calls. Like when you're one of those guys, you get those calls, man. And and don't get me wrong, it's ex- exceedingly frustrating, but it's also the nature of sports. You know, like I said, like y- your your warriors have benefited from, from it with Steph for a long time. Uh, you know, LeBron's gotten it forever. Jordan got it. Like every great player in sports has gotten that benefit of the doubt. I agree when it becomes the the wine fest, which is the shit you see with LeBron all the time. It gets old really quick. But, you know, I, you know especially like, when you see geez. like Stafford almost get decapitated on that one play and somehow he got cleared to go back into that game. Um, it's frustrating. It is. It is. I'm So I'm not I'm not invalidating. I'm not disagreeing with you, but I also I see I see the side of it. You know, I, I do. I do get it. Um all right, so we'll have Chiefs and Bills coming up next in Buffalo. It's a tough one. I'm going to say Buffalo by one and a half. Ooh. Is it two? It's close. It's two and a half. Oh, <laughs> Buffalo. I didn't think they would give Buffalo that extra point. I guess they did. I guess they I did. Mean, it's interesting, pick basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. Uh, all right, so speaking of Buffalo, they knock off the Steelers. Uh, yeah, Buffalo controlled this game. Uh, credit to the Steelers. They hung around there in the third quarter. It felt like they were kind of working their way back into it, and then Buffalo kind of closed the door on it. Um, to me, this is just like the right outcome in the right moment. Not really a whole lot to add to it other than just Buffalo, you know, they they controlled this game. They they did what good teams do, and Buffalo seems to have like a, a little bit of a streak going here. They're playing good football, and uh, I'll tell you what, man. They want this game against Kansas City more so than just about anybody does, and I think they're gonna have a they're gonna have a chance. I, I think they're favored for a reason. I think their offense is really explosive. I, obviously, we know that with Diggs and Davis and uh, Shakir. Obviously, he's turned into a really really nice little slot player for them as well. But they can run the ball. You know, having James Cook out of the backfield, um, that offensive line has stayed healthy all year, which is a huge benefit to them. And I think Buffalo is, is a legit contender. I think Buffalo has the talent and the ability to knock off the Baltimore Ravens. I think they're one of only a few teams that really have the ability to do that. And so much of that comes back to Josh Allen, who's been playing phenomenal football. Yeah, and that's been how this entire run has been fueled, right? It's Josh Allen putting them on their back. Um, but not in the it, way it, that he used to. You know exactly, when, yeah. Not in like the I gotta play hero ball and it hit the the deep shot to Stefan Diggs every time I I drop back and sling it. Or it's he does the button mash and he he he's running around like crazy all the time, you know. Yeah, where you get to the line on Madden and you're like you do the hot route and everything is go for your 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 X receiver, um. And so I, I it's it's been different. It's been able to being able to mix in the run game. It's having the offensive line healthy. That defense is getting more and more banged up by the game, um, which is a question mark. So we'll see moving forward. But um, in this one, you know, they did a pretty good job of neutralizing the run game for the Steelers, which has been how they've gotten to nine and eight. Right. Um, And I expect that they'll be able to do that moving forward against anyone they play against uh, for the most part. Um, But 
you know, like another successful se- season for the Steelers. I thought it was hilarious at the, uh, uh, do you see the press conference at the end of the game? Uh, with Tomlin? Yeah, with anybody, they asked if anybody had any final questions, and one reporter had the stones to bring up. God bless her. Had the stones to bring up the uh, the contract issue. She goes, "Mike Tomlin, you have one year left on your contract." Oh, Immediately God. walks off the off the stage. I <laughs> I love that. Like, yeah. we just lost the football game. I'm not here to talk about that shit. <laughs> like, I, I, to- I like it, and I don't like it. I don't like the disrespect to the reporters for asking a valid question. I also understand the time and place, but it's like, look, as a reporter, like that's a valid question, man. Like Sirianni had to answer questions last night about like, Hey, how do you feel about your future with, with this team after the way that the season ended? Right? Like that's part of the job and Tomlin, because he's so old school and stuff seems to get a pass. Cause we're always like, ah, you know, that's just Mike Tomlin doing his Mike Tomlin shtick, you know? And I'm like, yeah, but also seven years in a row, zero playoff wins. Like, I think it's a valid question now with the Roonies and they never fire anybody. And there's a bunch of stuff that gets baked into it. But we do give Mike Tomlin a bit of a pass. Um, that being said, from an entertainment standpoint, I thought it was phenomenal. I thought it was incredibly <laughs> entertainment. Um, and I totally understand his perspective. Like, hey, we just lost a playoff game. I don't want to talk about this right now. Fair. But that's kind of your job. It's to answer tough questions sometimes, even though it's not the most fun thing to do. So, uh, I get it. I feel bad for the reporter because it does feel like he kind of like the the maturity in which he responded to that question felt pretty, pretty young, pretty immature. I'm not going to lie. Um, but that's also just how Tomlin's always been. So do you just chalk it up? That's just Mike Tomlin being Mike Tomlin or like, hey, man, like have some stones and answer the question politically correct and get the fuck out of there. You know, like and you despite, don't have to be an asshole. Despite all of it, he still didn't blink. Yeah. No, he never does. I never I don't think does. Mike Tomlin has ever blinked with the way his eyes just stare at you. Must be terrifying. Uh, all right, last up here, the game that brought me the most joy, Packers-Cowboys. Packers absolutely dominated this game. And, I mean, look, if you're the Cowboys, man, like you're like, I, I don't even know. I, I'm amazed we haven't heard McCarthy being fired yet. I, I feel like that's probably going to happen at some point. I don't know. Um I'm surprised Jerry Jones hasn't pulled the trigger on that. But my God, did Jordan Love just absolutely dice you up at home? Meanwhile, Dak Prescott played his best season ever. By far Dak's best season as a Cowboy and uh, as a professional. And my God, does he just know how to choke in big moments. He really is Tony Romo 2.0. It's so beautiful. It's so awesome. Makes me so happy. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was uh, that was fun to watch. Shout out Jeff Martz, uh, big win for your Packers. Shout out to Martz. Uh, except now you got to come to my boys in in the Bay uh, next week. Um, but good job beating the Cowboys. <laughs> uh, you know, man. Like, look, I, I I think it's hard to to look at this game, especially with with what we do on this podcast, and not talk about how big of a, a failure it is for the Cowboys, but. How about the Packers being yeah. like set? Like yeah. their offensive line has played so much better uh, throughout the season. Uh, even though this might be like David Bakhtiari's last ride, that defense I still think has question marks, but they still have talent on it. And then you got it right again. Three straight quarterbacks in three decades. Yeah. Hitting Jordan Love, man. After you had Favre and then Aaron Rodgers replaces Favre, 
and then Jordan Love comes in and and replaces Aaron Rodgers in literally some of the similar ways where they were like drafted and they sat behind these guys uh, or each other and and now you're seeing uh, uh, Lafleur's offense, um, which when Rodgers was there was kind of a, a marrying of like uh, what Rodgers wanted to do and what Lafleur wanted to do. Now this is like full on year one of of Lafleur's offense. Jordan Love playing in Lafleur's offense. And they're on the same page, and they're marching to the same beat, and and it's they're set. They're going to be good for a while. They got that uh, that division on lock, I think, uh, as well as the uh, the Detroit Lions. But uh, for the next uh, seemingly few years, um, but yeah, I mean, credit to them to to just go into Jerry's house and and just knock the Cowboys right in the teeth, running it down their throat uh, with Aaron Jones. Um, he had a phenomenal game as predicted. A uh, couple of the weapons. Eight, eight touchdowns in four career games against the Cowboys. Pretty good. Aaron. Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, man. And they own them in that stadium. They and do. that's the thing, man. It's just like anytime we see that, especially in a playoff. I mean, the Packers have as many playoff wins in actually technically they have more playoff wins in Jerry's world than the Cowboys do. Uh, they've beaten the Cowboys twice in the playoffs in Jerry's world. And then they also won the Super Bowl when they beat the Steelers in Jerry's world. So, yeah, that's they right. Have, they have three playoff wins in uh, Jerry's world and the Cowboys have two. And that just and the, mm. and the funny part is too. no, no offense, Martz, but uh, that's kind of the Niners ownage against the Packers in the postseason. Uh, yeah. So, but but we'll hey, I mean, this... the spin zone on that is Aaron Rodgers. You know, the Niners have owned Aaron Rodgers. You know, and a little bit far, a little bit of Favre too. But for the most part, they've owned Aaron Rodgers. So maybe, maybe Jordan Love breaks that curse. I doubt it. Uh, I'm going to say this line is at Niners by ten and a half. Let's see. So close once more. <laughs> oh, what what is it? Nine and a half. Nine and a half. Wow. Like they're hey Vegas is respecting that that's that's some respect not a double digit spread I, hey, look, I bet you that line by by kickoff that line's double digits I I, I wouldn't be shocked but uh, again as a, as a fan I don't want to to over and I'm sure this is something the Cowboys did going into this week just yeah. underestimated a really good football team uh, I don't want the Niners to do that uh, I don't want our fans to do that going into this game being like cakewalk let's go uh, onto the uh, NFC title game again. Um, no, I think this Packers team is legit. I think they're a really good football team that you're going to have to to drop a scheme for. And the and Cowboys, look, man, the the, like, the, I think, the Packers, I think they did. the Packers wide receivers. You know, we talked about how young they are, the inexperience. Romeo Dobbs, uh, Christian Watson, and uh, the third guy I'm blanking on. Um, they, they all made Jayden plays. Reed. Jayden Jayden Reed didn't catch Thank the you. fucking yeah. ball, <laughs> and and Romeo Dobbs went off, and Christian Watson was taking the top off. Like it's, yeah, and and Musgrave, things. Musgrave, the tight end is pretty good too. Uh, the Oregon, the Oklahoma State kid, Oregon State, one of those two, uh, one of the black and orange O State schools. Um, but yeah, man, I, uh, I I I like this Packers team. They're fun. I don't see them getting past San Francisco, and at nine and a half, I would hammer San Francisco. But um, that offense is going to be a problem. I think the defense. Look, the defense balled out against the 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 defense of uh, Dallas or the offense from Dallas. But also, I don't think Brock Purdy is going to give you multiple gifts the way that Dak in this game did. And look, this is the thing: Dak doesn't show up in big moments. End of conversation. Like he just doesn't. 
And so until he he changes that, I mean, he's two and five in his career in the postseason, which is unbelievable. Um, and it's tied for like out of a minimum of five games, he's tied for the worst winning percentage in NFL history as a quarterback. Uh, and the combined record of the teams that he's beaten and played against is the easiest. So he's the worst of the people he's tied with for worst winning percentage in playoff yeah. games. And I have no sympathy for Dak. I have no sympathy for Cowboys fans or Jared Jones or anybody else. So this is this is what you guys are. You you so, toil in mediocrity as long as Jerry Jones owns the football team and the Jones family intends to own it for a long time. So uh, that just means you, good things to the rest of the NFL. You hang this on Dak. You think they if they do fire McCarthy that that's a mistake? No, I think or... that's that's the smart thing to do. I <clears throat> hope they retain McCarthy. I hope they keep McCarthy. You kidding me? The the last thing I want in the world is to see Bill Belichick showing up oh, and yeah. having to play him two maybe three times a year. That's the last thing I want to see. But McCarthy, guaranteed playoff choke job. Every time. me. Totally happy with that. All right. That's all we got on the pod. That's all of the wild card weekend games. Uh, we will be back later on the week to preview the divisional round and maybe some more coaching news as the days unfold as of now. McCarthy and Sirianni still in as head coaches for their respective teams. That could change by the next time we talk to you guys. So keep that in mind. If anything does pop up, you will hear about it on the pod later on the week, as well as our preview for the division around. So for Scotty, I'm Jeff. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back later on the week. And until then, take it easy, everybody.